Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 2, and uh, while, you're, you're, while you're getting there, I'll just say that I hope today to offer some understanding to some really great questions that a person might have if they haven't been around church, if a person's not familiar with the Bible. How many of you know not everybody grew up in church, not everybody's been around the, the things of the Lord, not everybody's familiar with the Bible? And how many of you know that as Christians, many times we do a very poor job at explaining some of the things that maybe we mean, and we leave folks in the dark. We assume people know things that, you know, not everybody was in Sunday school. Come on. And so today, I would like to offer some some Bible answers to a few great questions that a person might have, and uh, we're going to start with one that someone actually had in Scripture. And we're calling this today the triple threat, the triple threat. We're going to talk about uh, three things that have tremendous benefit in a person's life if someone hasn't known the Lord. These are three things that are very important that I'd like to bring up. John 3 in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. It was Nicodemus. He was a, a, a ruler. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, he's being sarcastic. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, you know, Nicodemus is referencing natural birth with a womb, so Jesus references it, born of the water, uh, that is when the water broke. That's all that is. Some people thought that's water baptism. No, Jesus is just giving a whole picture here about birth. He said, one has to be born of the water and of the Spirit, and of the Spirit. He said, I'm not talking about another water birth. He said, you've already been born of your mother. You've already passed from the the womb. He said, now you have to be born of the Spirit. That's what I mean when I say born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel to do not marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today. Father, I believe that you have stirred this word in my heart for this moment. That you knew who would be here today. You knew who would be watching. And Father, I pray that you will help me that my words would be seasoned with salt, and Father, that I would well represent your heart. Help me to share the heart of the Father with people today, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says that you must be born again. Jesus said until you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you are not born of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. How many people have you met and you were trying to share something spiritual and they they weren't trying to be mean, they weren't trying to be unkind, they were not trying to be rude, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And, and maybe it wasn't something really complicated. It was a, a simple spiritual truth. And it, it was just like this. Jesus says that if a person has not been born of the Spirit, they can't see the things of the Spirit. They might recognize that something's going on. They can sense the drawing of the Holy Spirit. 
They will experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, but they cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They cannot see the kingdom of heaven, and they will never enter the kingdom of God without being born again, because that which is born of flesh is flesh. In the spirit, the, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is spirit and truth. Flesh does not enter into spirit. But how many of you know we are not just flesh beings? We are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We live in a body. We are a spirit. We have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We are in a body. How many of you know that your body's not saved? Your body's going back to the ground. Your body is just a body. One day you'll get a new glorified body, a spiritual body, a body equipped for the things of God. But it is your spirit that gets saved. But before we come to Jesus, Colossians says we are dead men walking, that we are spiritually dead. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, he said, you can eat of any of these trees except that one. He said, that's the tree of the knowledge. That's the tree of knowing good and bad. He said, I've already, essentially in context, he's saying, I've already given you the good. He said, and it's my good. He said, to partake of this tree, that's you taking good and bad into your own hands. That's you deciding what is good, and it's also you receiving the knowledge of bad. You know, in Romans, through the Apostle Paul, the word of the Lord says to be simple concerning evil. Some people want, even Christians, they want so much to familiarize themselves with evil things. They say, well, I'd like to know about it. But the Bible says don't know about it. The Bible says to be simple, uh, be simple concerning evil. Uh, how many of you remember in the 19, how many of you lived through the 80s? Come on, somebody. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm an 80s kid, and now I have kids that think that I'm old because I live in the 80s. And so, boy, that makes some of you feel really old, doesn't it? So, yeah, well, I thought it was good. So how many of you remember in the 80s something called the satanic panic? Anybody remember? Boy, the topic of devil worship was really, really big. And uh, they, they talked about all this, this devil worship going on in different places. Anyway... My uncle was a cop, and he had received a publication. You know, there was literature that police would receive about different things going on concerning crimes, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, uh, they, they released this publication, and it covered some of these things about the satanic panic, some of the dangers of this that was going on. Well, my great-grandma, who uh, I started to say was a saint, really we're all saints if we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, but anyway, grandma was a saint, and she thought, I'd like to know I'd like to know about this. I'd like to know what's going on. And my grandma was the type of person that you said, hey, will you pray for me? Sure. <laughs> you know, she, she's going to drop to her knees and pray. You're going to pray. Do you want me to pray for you? Let's pray. And so she opened that publication, and she read a page of it. And it got her so worked up, she grabbed her Bible, and she read a page of the Bible, and she calmed down. And then she turned back and she read a page of this and she read a page of the Bible and she read a page of this and she read a page of the Bible until she got through. She didn't have to have that information. All it did was make her scared. All it did was make her worried. The Bible says be simple concerning evil. And so God told Adam and Eve, he said, don't partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what did they do? They did. And in it, they had broken his command and sin entered into their heart. But the knowledge of evil also entered in to their heart and mind. And they were taking the matter of good and evil into their own hands. And he said, the day you eat of this, you'll surely die. And they did. Spiritually. The light went out. Your spirit is the light. It's the part of you that has relationship with God. In the day that they did that, spiritually, they died. They were still walking around. Their soul was still operating. Electronic impulse, come on. They still had a memory, and they, they, could, they could think, and they could eat, and they could walk around with their soul in their body. But their spirit was just, just a dead place. And then Jesus says to Nicodemus, you know you can be born again. He said, what do you mean born again? He said, you mean like from my mom? He said, no, 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 not the water birth, not the flesh birth. He said, flesh is flesh. It can't enter spirit. He said, you can be born of the spirit. I can turn the light back on. 
He says, I can take that old spirit, he said, and I can trade it out. That spirit which is guilty of sin, I always tell people, God doesn't save sinners. He kills them. The old you, the old sinning, sinning spirit, this, you know, the Bible talks about the sin factor or the sin nature. I call it the sin factory. God takes that old you and gets rid of it. When you get saved, God doesn't repair you. He trades you out completely. When you come to him for forgiveness, he doesn't just remodel you. He doesn't improve you. He gets rid of you and gives you a brand new you. He takes that old dead spirit and he gets rid of it as far as the east is from the west. And he gives you a brand new you. One that is in unity with him. A spirit which is whole. A spirit which is righteous. That means in right standing with God. A spirit that is holy. A spirit that is blameless. He gives you a brand new spirit. You are born again. You are born again. And being born again, here come your fill in the blanks. If you're one of them, they're on your note sheets. And being born again, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. And I got to tell you, I am so glad that when I got saved, he didn't just forgive me for what I did until today, or I'd be in trouble. I didn't just get forgiveness. I got the forgiver. Come on. I got placed inside of the one who is forgiveness. I should say I didn't just get forgiven. I got forgiveness. I got placed inside of Jesus, and he got placed inside of me. I have a blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. Come on. Purchased by God. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story, and this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I'm so glad that I'm saved and I'm safe. I can't. Anybody here able to keep themselves? Anybody here able to change themselves? Anybody here able to not mess up again? Has anybody been saved longer than five years? Anybody been saved longer than 10? Longer than 20? Longer than 30? 40? 50? Did you keep yourself saved or did Jesus do it? Thank God he did it. Give him a mighty hand clap. Jesus did it. Somebody say Jesus did it. Woo! He's all over me and he's keeping me alive. Jesus on the inside working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus is keeping me saved. I've been born again. I'm glad this isn't a club where I have a membership, but it's a family. I didn't join in. I was born in. I was born into this family, and it's a mystery to me. It's a mystery to me. Bishop Patterson used to talk about his dad, Bishop Patterson. He said, it's a mystery to me. He said, I don't know how it is that God does it. He said, I don't know. He said, how a, a brown cow eats green grass and makes white milk. He said, it's a mystery to me. And I don't know how Jesus took my black heart, dipped it in his red blood, and made me white as snow. He said, it's a mystery, but I know he did it, and I'm saved, saved, saved. Born again has really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again, and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad, that I've been born again. When you're born again, you're forgiven. When you're born again, you are right with God, and you're one with God. And when you're born again, you will forever be with God. 
God? Are you grateful for eternal life? Does your eternal life start when you die, or does your eternal life start when you get saved? What's forever mean? Forever. Come on, somebody. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, somebody shout believes, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come to judge you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus said, you are judged and condemned already. He said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to get you out of it. He said, you were already on your way to perishing. You were already on your way to death. You were already on your way to destruction. He said, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. I came to save you. I came to deliver you. I came to forgive you. I came to set you free. Saved. Born again. In order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Am I saved by my behavior or am I saved by believing in the one that came and died for me on an old rugged cross? Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. Man, he made this thing easier than turning over a turnip cart, whatever that means. Sounds pretty easy, though, doesn't it? Maybe you should try to drive a turnip cart, and you'll find out. Maybe I should. I don't know. It's so easy to get saved. Because I don't do the work. People say, salvation's free. No, it isn't. Salvation's not free. It's just that somebody else paid for it. It's free to me. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him leaving heaven and coming to earth. It cost him living among us. It cost him going up Calvary's hill. It cost him being hung on an old rugged cross. It cost him dying. It cost him everything, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, the power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the grave again. And when you get saved, he raises you. Resurrection power. Resurrection life. Hallelujah. So the first facet of our triple threat is salvation. Salvation. Being born again. I was born a sinner, but Jesus came and died for me. And I received him. How do you do it? How do you get born again? He said that if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'd be saved. Later, he said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You get saved by calling on him. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I know you died for me. I know you got up again. And I say, yes, wash me. And when we from our heart place faith in that, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we are replaced, and we're made whole. Number two, the second thing I want to talk about today in our triple threat, is water baptism. I'm so excited to talk about this. Water baptism. You see, when you get saved, when you get born again, like we just talked about, your sins are washed away. But later, when you get water baptized, you see, that's two different things. You got saved before you got baptized. I'm not saying that you couldn't get saved while you're being baptized, but usually it doesn't happen that way. You get water baptized because you already got saved, and now you want to tell everybody. 
But while salvation cleanses you from sin, water baptism, hear me, will give you a clear conscience. Water baptism will give you a clear conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. You can read the whole thing later. We're starting in the middle, so you'll want to go get the rest. But for our point, we need this part. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah? All right, so think about the the days of Noah. God was destroying all, using water to destroy all to preserve his. He was saving by water. While the ark was being prepared, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, the King James Version says baptism, which is a like figure. Water baptism is a picture of a lot of different things in Scripture. A lot of different things. But one of the things that water baptism is a picture of is the flood of Noah. But the flood of Noah was a picture of the, you know, the wooden ark on the, on the waters, them being rescued by this wooden ark while all this destruction came. That was a picture of the wooden cross of Jesus saving people from destruction. Water baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Hold up. Saves you from sin? No, no. Not as the removal of the dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Water baptism doesn't save you from the sin, but it gives you a clean conscience. He said it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What, is, what does that mean? You remember Jesus was baptized. Did Jesus need to be cleansed of any sin? Oh. But Jesus' baptism was prophetic of his death, burial, and resurrection and an example to us. Because when Jesus went down into those dirty waters of the Jordan River, John the Baptist, his cousin, baptized him and laid Jesus down into the water and brought him back up. And it was a picture of what would happen three years later when he would die on the cross and be laid down into the tomb and three days later be raised back up from the dead. So water baptism is also a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is you identifying with the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. When you got saved, you died and were raised to new life. When you get water baptized, you are showing your friends and your family what happened over there that you just, you say, hey, everybody, I want to show you what happened to me spiritually a few weeks or days ago. I died, I was buried, and I got back up again. That's water baptism. You know how we take communion over and over and over again, and we take the bread, and we take the juice, and we can break the bread. We can feel it, and that represents the broken body of Christ, and we put it in our mouth, and we can taste it. We can taste the unleavened bread, and we're chewing it, and we we swallow it, and we feel it go down while we think about Jesus hanging on the cross. And it does something for us because it gives us a physical connection in this flesh body. It gives us a physical connection to a spiritual truth. And it causes us to realize things in a different way. And then we take the juice and we think about the blood of Jesus. And we think about how the blood went in and cleansed us. 
and we drink that juice, and we feel it, and we think about the blood going into our insides. And communion gives us an incredible connection. And when we take communion, the Holy Spirit gets involved in that communion service, and he starts to actually touch hearts. He starts to actually touch minds. Faith starts to come alive. Healings start taking place. Miracles start happening. And people leave refreshed. People leave with new perspective after taking communion because they had that physical connection. This is what water baptism is. You got saved. And when you got saved, you might not have realized that you just died and were raised back up. But when you step into that water, you're going to feel that water on you. And then I'm going to grab hold of you and I'm going to lay you, and you're going to feel yourself covered up by the water. You're going to have the connection to the death that you experienced, and then I'm going to pull you back up, and you'll breathe again. And your mind is going to put it all together. The physical connection to the spiritual truth, and your mind's going to go, oh, I'm clean. You're going to come up with a clean conscience. My son Deacon got saved in a motel room in Branson. We were sitting in the room, and all of a sudden he said, "Uh, I've been thinking about uh, what it means to be saved. I forget how old he was, not very old. We said, okay. He started asking questions. Anytime people ask spiritual questions, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is already at work. If anyone asks you, listen, nobody comes to the Father but that they are drawn by the Holy Spirit. Nobody asks spiritual questions about Jesus, things of the Spirit, Unless the Holy Spirit stirs them. If people are asking questions of a spiritual nature, you can know with confidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. So be sensitive to the Spirit in answering them and answering them in love because God's trying to use you. And we talked with Deacon, and we explained to him some of these things I'm explaining today, and he wanted to get saved. And he got saved right there in that hotel room. Later on, we had a water baptism service here, and there were several being baptized, and my son Deacon was one of them, and I baptized him. And he came out of the water, and he went. We got in the car, and we were going home, and he said, hey, he said, Dad, he said, when you baptized me, and he said, I came up, he said, he said, it felt like, a bunch of bad stuff came out and a bunch of good stuff came in. That's how a little boy said. His body, his mind made the connection from this to this. I'm clean. I'm clean. When you get water baptized, you will receive a clean conscience. That's one of your fill in the blanks. The next thing that happens when you are water baptized is that you are publicly testifying of your salvation. I hope I put the right letters on the the thing for that, which we've already talked about the baptismal picture of Jesus. So you get a clean conscience. You're making a public testimony of your salvation. But when you get baptized, you're going to get empowered. The Holy Spirit is going to get involved in this baptismal service. And he's going to touch you. I'm not talking about feelings. I mean, you might say, oh, I, I, I felt him. Maybe, maybe you will. Maybe you won't. I don't care if you do or not. I'm not talking about what you feel. I'm talking about what's happening. Some of the most empowering moments from God, we don't even know they happen until later. God is building us and strengthening us, and we don't even know what happened. As Pentecostals, we fail because we're looking for this jerk and this shout and this falling down and and, and all this stuff. And I mean, whatever, more power to you. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. You do it. But what I'm saying is we've put the focus in the wrong place because the focus is him. The focus is his word. The focus is his power. The focus is living for him and loving people. Spreading the gospel. That's the focus. When you get water baptized, the Holy Spirit's going to get involved. Listen to what happened when Jesus got water baptized. You see, every time there was a water baptism, the Holy Spirit showed up. 
Matthew 3 and 16. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw, Jesus looks up and sees the Holy Spirit. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. He began to glow with this light. The Holy Spirit lands on him, and lo, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you've got Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit in the sky, and the Father up here in the clouds. The Holy Spirit shows up in this water baptismal service. Go with me real quick to Acts chapter 8 and 38. There was a, uh, a man, the Bible says this, this eunuch, but more specifically he, was, he had a job in the palace. I'm trying to think of the town. I don't know if it says it here. He worked with the queen. He worked with powerful people. But anyway, he's going wrong. He's reading the prophets. He's in a chariot on a trip, and he's reading the prophets out loud. And Philip, the apostle Philip is close by and hears him. This was a God thing. He overhears him, and he asks him, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how could I unless somebody explains it to me? How could I unless you cannot see the kingdom of God without being... Born again without spiritual eyes. Philip gets into the chariot. He says, I'll explain it to you. So he explains to him the portion of Scripture he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. It's prophetic of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, how to be born again, how to be saved. Eight, uh, Acts 8, 38. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And, oh, I meant to start sooner than this. I got you the wrong one. This guy puts faith in Jesus, Okay. He gets saved. Then this happens. He commands the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water. The previous verse, which I didn't go back far enough, it says this. It says that because he had placed faith in this, how could we forbid him to be water baptized? What would prevent him? And they decided to find some water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Wouldn't that freak you out? What if we go out here today, and I put you under the water, and then I pull you up out of the water, and you open your eyes, and I'm not there? It'd be a pretty good magic trick, wouldn't it? <laughs> The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord caught him away, translated him. And Philip went rejoicing. I wish I knew more of his story because of all the people to get saved, this guy's got a job in the highest position in the land, and he's friends with the queen. You know he went back and shared the gospel. Come on. But the Holy Spirit showed up at that water baptism. Even on the day of Pentecost, now I'm not talking about when the Holy Spirit first fell on the 120, but I'm talking about on that day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up to preach. You can read about it in Acts chapter 3. He stood up to preach, Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, and then read on into Acts chapter 3. Acts 2.38, listen to this. Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He baptized 3,000 people that day. Some of these folks, they were familiar with baptisms, but they were familiar with John's baptism before they realized who Jesus was. He said, no. He said, you've got to put faith in the name of Jesus. And they got baptized, and they received power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets involved in these water baptisms. So that's number two of the triple threat. So it's get saved, get water baptized, and number three, church attendance. And I even hate, I would hate to say attendance. It's not like we show up, oh, I attended. This is a body of moving parts. This is not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living thing. We're a family. We're the family of God. We're supposed to be involved and help one another and stand with one another and encourage one another. 
And that's what, that's what happens when we are committed to God's model of being part of a local group of believers. Listen to this from Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Now listen. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now pause there for a second. He says, as believers, he said, we hold to our faith. He said, but that's not all we do. We need to consider one another. He said, we also want to build one another up. We also want to encourage one another. Let's, prov- you know, usually when we say provoke, we don't mean something positive. You know, eh, he was provoking me, you know. Or if we say provocative, we mean something very different. Come on. But he says, provoke to love. We should provoke each other to love. We should remind each other of it and encourage one another and build one another up in love and to good works. But how do we do it? He answers it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. He says, do you know that there are believers that are not getting together with a local group of believers. He said there are people that they have placed faith in Jesus for salvation. He said, but they ain't going to church. He said, don't do that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, when we get together, faith is greatly exercised and thereby greatly strengthened. And has anybody noticed it seems to be easier to have faith at church than it is some other place by yourself? You know, when you get here, your brain already associates the whole place with the things of the Lord. We, we know when we come in here, we are refreshed. We know that we worship together. We hear preaching. We love each other. We cry with each other. We laugh with each other. We pray for each other. When we come in, I'll give you an example. When I was in school, if I was in class, I could do math really well. If I had math homework... I'm not even kidding about this. Maybe somebody smarter than me can explain it. When I went home, I didn't know how to do math. And I wasn't making an excuse. I was like, hmm? You put me in the classroom, and I'm like, Bruh. All of a sudden, there was something about the environment, what my mind associated with these different places. It's like when I get here, it's all Jesus. When I get here to his house... If you will commit to a local body of believers, you will build one another up. You will encourage one another. You will be strengthened by being here. Let me tell you something else that happens here, something God said about his church. And by the way, the word church and the word body of Christ are a little bit different. The body of Christ is the name of all believers everywhere. The word church means the gathering together of believers in an area. It's the ecclesia, even. It is the teaching and the fellowship. It's the getting together. And so there are people that are part of the body of Christ that ain't part of the church. You know what I'm saying? People say, oh, his church is everywhere. I'm part of the church. Well, you're part of the body. But the church is a word that's been given to those that get together for worship and for preaching and teaching and and, and loving and praying. Here's what happens. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. We're going to find out about Christ and the church. He gave himself for it that he might sanctify it. That means set it apart for his purpose. And get this, and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. This is not talking about salvation. That's by the washing of the blood. Here, he talks about the washing of the water of the word. How many times, as a Christian, 
You're saved. Jesus is in you. You're forgiven. But the dirt of the world gets on your mind. You go to work. You go through the work week. You're watching the news. And all the junk, man, it's weighing you down. And it starts to cloud your vision even. You start to be discouraged. It strips your courage. On Sunday, you were strong. Your faith was strong. You're excited about Jesus. And then you start encountering this stuff from the world, and it's kind of like, oh, man, are we ever going to get through? And you feel hopeless. Sometimes you do something stupid, and then you don't even feel clean. It's on your mind. You're racked with guilt. You're racked with shame. You're feeling really stupid about it. You feel awful about it, and it's all here. It's not here, thank God. It's not in your, your beautiful, blood-washed, holy, righteous spirit, but it's here. So if you're already saved, how do you get rid of the dirt here? You wash it with the Word. When we get in here, we receive the washing of the water, come on somebody, the washing of the water of the word. You get in here and I say, don't forget who you are. You say, what? I goofed big this week. He says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and it washes some dirt on you. say, oh, wait a minute. He says you're saved. He says you're sanctified. He says you're whole and you're holy and you're redeemed. He says you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're ahead and not behind. Come on. And the washing of the water of the word changes everything and you leave here saying, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. The water washes all of that. The water washes you. Isn't that amazing? Somebody say, thank God for church. Thank God for church. Think, man, I, you leave here wanting to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. You leave here, fire, and listen, a water pistol's all to take. David took down Goliath with a sling and five smooth stones. Come on. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. The church, he said. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So at church, you will be renewed. Your mind will be transformed, and you will learn to live victoriously. You'll be surrounded with a family to help you as the bumps come. Listen to this, Romans 12 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Washing of the water of the word. Why? That you may prove, listen, I've got it whether I prove it or not, but I'd like to prove it. I'm not saved because of my works, but I work because I'm saved. My good works didn't give me salvation, but my salvation leads to good works. When you're saved, you want to live right. When you're saved, you're hungry for holiness. When you're saved, you're hungry to do things God's way. If you don't have those desires, you may have a bigger problem. Because when you get saved, you want them. You want them. Be not conformed, be ye transformed. So you can prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. The triple threat. The triple threat. Get saved get baptized, and go to church, and go to church. This is so important, and it's so important for your kids. I preached my aunt's funeral yesterday. I think there was more people there than there are here. It was packed. It was pretty impressive, really, pretty humbling. I was in a little prayer room before it started, 
asking the Lord for his direction that I would say what he wanted me to say, not what I want to say. And he spoke to me. And the Lord said, I have been speaking to some hearts here already very recently to receive me. I don't give a lot of altar call invitations at funerals. Because I think most of the time funeral conversions are fake. (laughs) Sorry. I think people are emotionally charged. You know. Oh yeah, I miss grandma. I'll pray along with you. You know. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I just, I want to be sensitive to the spirit. I hope that makes sense and doesn't sound mean. But yesterday the Lord spoke to me. And we gave an invitation. And we did it church style. I had everybody in the room stand up, bow your head and close your eyes and raise your hand. And hands started going up. When I said, if your hands raised, come forward, a few of them kind of like this. Two of them came. And one of them was my cousin, who's got to be 50-something, you know. He came and got saved. Never had anything to do with the Lord in his whole life. He came and got saved. Last night at my mom's house, I find out that less than a week ago, he told my aunt, not the one that passed, she was already gone. That's his mom. But my other aunt, he said, I know that my mom is in heaven. He said, but I don't know if I'm going, and I don't know how, and I want to. That's the one that got saved. God told me he had been talking to hearts in recent days. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And he gave his life to Jesus. I was so glad. It was kind of awkward to do that that way. I was so glad that I listened to the Lord. Man, it would have been great if he would have been raised knowing this instead of waiting all those years. I don't care how old you are. Don't wait even longer. And furthermore, if there are any children in your life, get it right now and lead them by example. Get these babies to Jesus now. Because the world is serving up their beliefs every day. And they're screaming it louder and louder and louder. They're screaming it louder on TV, on kids' shows. They're screaming it louder in department stores. They're they're screaming it louder everywhere. They're screaming it louder in public school, and they got these babies all mixed up. And it's indoctrination. If we would go into a public school and try to indoctrinate, they would lose their minds. But they're indoctrinating them. With things that have no no scientific, no anything. Pitching them, honestly, religious ideas. They won't call it religious, but it is. They've just decided it, and they believe it by faith. And they're going to teach everybody else. This that I've told you today is important. It's important for you, and it's important for your kids to receive Jesus early, to be baptized early, and to be raised in the house of God with the family of God surrounding them. Get it right or we're going to lose the whole thing. There's no time left. Look around. Wake up. Wake up. Get it right and get these babies to Jesus. Two weeks ago, this girl made me so mad. She came in my shop. She needed balloons. And she came in and I said, oh, hey, her name. Because she went here for a while. How are you? I'm good. Great, great to see you. She got a baby. I had never met the baby. She had, she had just gotten pregnant when she quit coming. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm not trying to be rude. 
when she was coming here, she was very lonely. And so she needed Jesus. And then a man showed up in her life, and she didn't come no more. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. People come, and they really need Jesus' help until they find a man. Come on, somebody. This is just real talk. So she left. Life's been crazy ever since. Now she's got this beautiful little child. She was buying balloons for the, I don't know if it was the second birthday party or whatever. Beautiful, beautiful little baby. I said, hey, I said, we miss you. I said, come back. I said, and bring this baby so that she can be raised, surrounded by the things of God and learning his word. And she said, well, I'm pretty busy. I'm like trying to be Jesus. (laughs) But I'm stuck between nice Jesus and table flipping Jesus. Because depending on which day you catch me, I may be praying or I may be swinging a rope. She said, well, I'm pretty busy. I said, <laughs> you were, were you there for this? I said, busy. I said, too busy for your child to be there learning about Jesus? It was so hard for me. She said, well, she said, you know, with a baby, sometimes you don't get your sleep right, and I wake up late. I wanted to put on these boxing gloves, <laughs> throat puncher, and take the baby. Don't talk to me about busy. I'm running four businesses. I'm parenting a family full-time, and I think doing okay because my kids are pretty swell. Come on, somebody. You want to talk about busy, you're over here twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing, sleeping in, some kind of lazy person. Too busy? You want to talk about too busy? I'm not too busy. Give me the baby. I'll adopt your kid and take another one on if I can tell them about Jesus and raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Busy. Too busy. You're too busy to get to church? Are you crazy? Are you out of your ever-loving mind? You're too busy to assemble. Oh, but it didn't break my iPad. You're too busy? Too busy for the people of God? Too busy for the preaching of the word? Listen, when you come, it's not just for you anyway. You're supposed to be here to encourage somebody else. You're too busy to come and do your job. And let somebody else do your job. You're too busy. Some of you sitting at home watching on live stream. You're too lazy to get up on Sunday morning, take a bath, and get here. You're home in your pajamas. And your kids are going to hell in a handbasket because you're too busy. Wake up. Wake up and get to the house of God. Wake up and learn who Jesus is. Wake up and read your Bible. Wake up and pray. Dads, wake up and lead your family. Too busy. him now. This is a righteous indignation. 
The heart of God is jealous, not of you, jealous for you. He's got a righteous indignation against that which is destroying his church and destroying people and kids being raised in this crazy society doesn't know the difference between a boy and a girl. I can tell you the difference. Look in your underwear. If there's something hanging, you're a boy. If not, you're a girl. I can tell you the difference. And this world has lost its mind. Listen, I don't care. I don't care who likes me anymore because a lot of people don't like me anyway. And I'm tired of pacifying people. And I don't care if they want my tax status. I don't care if they watch the video and come and get it. I'll pay taxes on every dollar that comes in, but I'm not going to vote for some crazy liberal with some messed up agenda that's taken the power into the government's hands instead of my own. Going to lie to my kids in school. This must be the Holy Ghost because it's not in the notes and I ain't done this in a while. and I'm tired and this is the United States of America and I want it back I want my country back I want my kids back I want my family back and I want the church of Jesus Christ back wake up wake up get saved get baptized get to church Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Singers, musicians, would you come? Stand with me, but keep on clapping and shouting to Jesus. Some crazy liberal democratic nonsense. I'm so sick and tired of pussyfooting around and just not saying what needs said. And just calling black, black, and white, white, and just saying it. And then if you don't like it, you don't have to stay. We'll fill your seat with somebody who's serious. I'm not looking for anybody to like me here. I'm looking to plunder hell to populate heaven. I'm looking to fill heaven. Yeah, I don't care if you think I'm doing it right or not. I'm looking for one. I am looking for one. I'm looking for one to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all I care about. So let's get it right. So let's get it right. Some of you have already received Jesus as Savior. Some have already been baptized. Some are already here. Some of you have just come today, and maybe you haven't heard this before. I don't have any reason to stand and do what I just did. I don't have a reason to, that would not benefit me in any way. I don't have a reason to do that except that I love you. It is, it is my love for Jesus and it is my love for human beings is the only reason I keep doing what I'm doing because I'm telling you there's easier stuff I could do. There's easier stuff than some of the things you go through and some of the things that you put up with and that pay more, by the way.
but what else would I do? I can't do anything else because every time I open my mouth, Jesus comes out, even if I'm trying to say something else. I remember I was, I don't know, 17 probably, and me and my friends, we want to go to the to the mall and talk to some girls. We'll go find some girls to talk to. God bless you, my brother. I'll be, I'll be right there. We want to go look at some girls, talk to some girls. I saw this girl. I said, I'm going to go talk to her. So I went, I wasn't sure how I was going to start, you know. And I opened my mouth. I was going to say hi or hey, what's your name? Or, and I opened, <laughs> this is true. I opened my mouth and I said, do you know the Lord Jesus? <laughs> I used to carry this little Bible in my pocket with the Roman road highlighted. Any, any good 1980s Christians here? <laughs> I think five different girls got saved at the mall that day. <laughs> what else would I do? This is it. This is all I got, folks. This, this is all I've got. I, when I was six years old, I got down on my knees in my bedroom and I asked Jesus to come in and he did and he changed something when he came in and I can't get past it and I've been telling everybody about him. I told the kids on the playground. I told them when I had to give a report in school. I'd invite them over to the house and tell them about Jesus. I'd invite them to church. This is all I've got. I care about one thing above all else. And that is that my life would leave, would leave the biggest, craziest mark on this earth because souls receive Jesus as Savior and that people are in heaven. And when I get there, I don't need them to run up to me and say, you're the one that told me. Don't care. Don't care if they remember me. I don't care if you remember me today. The best thing that could happen when you walk out is that you remember everything I said and can't remember my face or my name. The greatest thing that could happen is that you'd be like, well, uh, 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 I don't know that guy. But anyway, he told me about this great big Jesus. it was Lester Summerall. I can't remember. In England, he took a friend. He said, I want to take you to a great church. He took him to a big church on a Sunday morning. And I don't remember the, the preacher at that church, but he was a great, famous preacher. Incredible orator. And that guy preached the house down. And they left. And he asked his friend, he said, what did you think? He said, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. He said, I want to take you somewhere else. So he took him to the great Chicago temple under the leadership of C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. 20,000 people packing out that Chicago church in the 20s, 30s. <laughs> he took him to hear Brother Spurgeon. And when he left, he asked his friend, he said, what'd you think? He said, he said, 
the greatest Christ I've ever seen. <laughs> he didn't see the preacher. Oh, God, help me to preach like a man on fire. God, help me to preach full of the Holy Ghost. Help me to preach your word and not my own. God, help me that they would leave and not remember my face or my name, but they'd remember Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you are here today and Jesus is not the Lord of your life, if you are here today and you've never accepted him, you've never been saved, you've never been born again, your mind might be racing saying, how do I logicalize this that I feel? What's going on? What do I think about this? The Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand it. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, you don't understand the wind, where it comes from and where it goes. He said, but you must be born again. If you've never accepted Jesus as Savior, step out from where you are right now. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. Get out of your seat, get out of your seat and come and stand with me right here and we are gonna pray together as you receive Jesus as Savior. I don't care how young, I don't care how old, would there even be one you wanna get saved today? Sir, did you come to get saved today? Come and stand with me right here. God bless you. God bless you. Would there be even one more? Don't wait. Come and stand with us right now. We're getting ready to pray. If you're watching at home, you don't have to be in this church house to be saved. You believe with your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. Would you pray this out loud after me? Bow your head. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. I know I'm a sinner. I know you love me. I know you love me. Jesus, I know you died for me. Jesus, I know you died for me. I know you got up again. I know you got up again. I say yes to you. I say yes to you. Forgive my sin. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you. Your word says that right now I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I'm washed. I'm clean. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.